Come on in and find a seat as we get started in worship this morning. My name is KJ. I am the senior pastor here at Alberta Baptist Church. And I'd like to say a very happy Father's Day to the fathers in the room. Uh, happy Father's Day. I, I think we could this week have the answer to the age-old question, how many fathers does it take to change a light bulb? Because we do have a light bulb that needs changing up here for this projector that has been ordered. I can picture all the dads forming a human pyramid and, and going up there. Uh, but happy Father's Day. As we begin our time in worship, I want to read to us from Psalm 148. Uh, this will be our invocation to worship the Lord. So let's stand together this morning. Psalm 148, this is the word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all the stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters in the deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Sing together, all creatures of our God and King. Let's sing. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Hallelujah, hallelujah, the burning sun.
You may be seated. Word from Philippians 1, 18 through 30. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in this flesh, this will mean further fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you and your standing firm in the faith and standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word now, we come as those longing to be changed by it, that we might behold in it the glory of Jesus and be changed by that glory by his, into his likeness. Lord, we desire to see ourselves more and more conformed to the image of our Savior and King. May you do that great work in us today. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you living for? That's a good question to ask yourself from time to time. What am I living for at this moment in time? It's a good question to ask yourself, but it may be a better question to ask your closest friend or your spouse or your unbelieving classmate or coworker. From the outside, peering into my life, what does it look like I'm living for? What would you say my life is about? I wonder what the person with the best window into your life would say about you. I wonder how you might answer the same question for your closest non-Christian friend. What are they living for? Is it success? 
in school or business? Is their life about making money to buy the things and finance the experiences they think will satisfy them? Maybe they're mainly about the approval of others. That's what they live their life for, either the approval of others or the flip side of that. They are largely driven by a fear of disapproval, of social shame. Or maybe their life is one big effort to hang on to the health and beauty that they have. Or perhaps trickiest of all, their life is about doing good, but it's in a way that secretly inflates their sense of self-worth and reassures themselves that they're okay. I wonder what you might identify as the central thrust of your non-Christian friend's life. But I also wonder, if they were to look at your life, what would they say? Would they say anything different? Do your life choices require another answer, a different answer, an answer that's nowhere on their radar? As Christians, we ought to answer this question very differently from our friends who are not Christians. And the question is, my life is blank. Fill in the blank. My life is blank. In our passage in Philippians today, we see how the Apostle Paul answers that question. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 of chapter 1 is the shortest verse in the whole book of Philippians, and it is perhaps the most famous verse as well. Here is Paul's answer to the question, what are you living for? What are you living for, Paul? Verse 21, Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Now, I'll be the first to admit that on a grammatical level, it feels like something is missing here. To live is Christ. It feels like there should be a preposition in there somewhere, right? To live is for Christ or to live is about Christ or even I would say my life is in Christ. But Paul doesn't include a preposition here. He says, to live is Christ. To live is a person. While that phrase may feel grammatically strange, we already know that it is experientially true. To live is a person. We all know people for whom to live is a person already. Their life revolves around the person that they have a romantic relationship with. Life is mainly about the person that they're in love with. You see the evidence of that when they're faced with the loss of it. So much of life is rolled up in this relationship that to lose it would be simply devastating. Without this person, life would not feel worth living anymore. To live is a person. We've all seen this reality at work in the world around us in romantic relationships, but it is even more persuasive in another way. Pervasive, not persuasive, pervasive in another way. 
To live is a person, and that person is me. I am the person I am living for. It's my self-interest, it's my desires that are running the show and steering the ship. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. To live is a person, and that person is me. In our most honest moments, however, we realize that this is far from a good thing. We feel deep down that life isn't intended to be this way. A life lived for self is it truly satisfying, is it? It's far more often self-destructive than it is satisfying. Why? Because life was designed to be about a person, but that person isn't you. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Jesus is the true and proper center of the solar system of our lives. I just got Lucas's attention. The solar system of our lives. In the solar system, our sun, only the sun, is massive enough to hold everything in its proper place. You try to put something else of lesser weight and importance at the center, and everything would go off balance. All planets would slip their orbit and go careening off into space. And guess what? The same is true of us. When we orient our lives around a false center, things go awry. And notice that I said false center and not a bad center. Because you can place a lot of good things at the center of your life. Your spouse, your children, your humanitarian cause. But however good these things may be, they still make for false centers. They're not big enough to orbit your life around. They weren't designed to take the place of the sun. They weren't meant to bear that kind of weight. Your children weren't designed to be your all in all. You'll either, if you, if you make them your all in all, you'll either spoil them or you will put so much pressure on them that you will break them when you make them your center and construct your solar system around them. And the same thing is true for your spouse and for your career and for your political calls. It's, it's too small a thing. None of them are weighty enough to hold the solar system of your life together. At least not for very long. Eventually, planets will collide and the orbits will collapse and chaos will reign. But with the Son of God as your Son, every aspect of life begins to find its proper orbit. You now love your spouse, your children, your work, your leisure more because you have them in their proper place instead of at the center. We don't put a pressure on them that they weren't designed to bear. When we say with Paul, 
to me, to live as Christ, we end up enjoying all things more and dying actually becomes our gain. Not our loss, our gain. Imagine the pressure you put on life when death, you only see death as loss. That's all it is, loss. If you're going to have your fun and death is coming, you got to have it all now. You got to have it now. If you're going to have your pleasure, it's got to be now because YOLO. You only live once and then it's game over. All of life then turns into the typical dad's experience at Disney World. And you know what I'm talking about. You already know. Dads, you know what I'm talking about. You know how much and, and how hard you've had to work in order to afford this family vacation to Disney World. And you also know how much work this vacation is going to be. You're going to need a vacation from your vacation when it's all said and done in the end. And I bet you know down to the penny how much you've spent on this Disney family experience. And of all the family, you feel most keenly the pressure to have X number of dollars worth of fun. you got to have it, kids. And few things kill fun like pressure. It might have been less pressure and more fun just to give the kids cardboard boxes and build your own Disney castle in the backyard. We don't enjoy things as much as we should when we put too much pressure on them. When we see this life as the only one. This is all we get. But... When to live is Christ, then dying is gain. Then we can enjoy all things now for what they are, assured that much deeper joys are yet to come. We can enjoy things more now because we know that far better things lie ahead than any we leave behind. Friends, if you want to have joy over life's circumstances, then you need to reorient your life around the true son, around God's son. Augustine, Augustine, however you want to say it, he was right. God has created us for himself, and our hearts will be ever restless until they find their rest in him. C.S. Lewis was right. God cannot give us true happiness apart from himself because there is no such thing. Okay, you say, I see life is a person. To live is a person. And that the only person who could satisfy me in the end is Jesus, is Christ. Okay, I see that. But if I were to begin to reorder my life, my universe around Jesus, what other things can I expect to fall into place? Like planets around the sun, what things can I expect to fall into place? What wandering planets will find their proper orbit in my life? I'm so glad you asked. Lucas, I'm glad you asked. Because the rest of the chapter reads like a list of what you can expect when To live is Christ, and to die is gain. I won't cover all that there is to see here, but I do want to highlight some of them because they all support this main point of what we talked about thus far. Picture these elements like planets 
finding their proper orbit once Christ, the Son, is at the center of your life. If you're a new Christian, perhaps these still feel like things to look forward to as your universe realigns itself around Jesus. If you've been a Christian for a while, you might want to test your heart to see how much your spiritual solar system is functioning as it should. Okay, so here are six things that happen when we see our lives living with Christ at the center. To live is Christ and to die is gain. First, here's what we'll see. We will experience joy in deliverance. Look with me halfway through verse 18. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice for... I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul knows that he will experience the joy of deliverance. Being delivered from prisons in the foreground here, yes, of course, but a sense of ultimate deliverance is also here. Paul knows that even if he dies in prison, He will be delivered. And the joy of that kind of deliverance will be much greater than the joy of just being delivered from prison. Because for Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul rejoices in the knowledge that everything will work out in the end. His story will work out just like the best of all happy endings, Paul believes. He believes God will do that. And here is the truly amazing thing. Paul rejoices in his story's happy ending, his ha- the happy conclusion, while he is still living through his story's hardest conflicts. Do you see that? Most characters in most stories don't know that they will have a happy ending, Right? They don't know they'll have a happy ending as they're going through the hardships. They don't know it's going to all work out. But Paul knows it's going to all work out. He knows that he will be delivered. And he rejoices in it now in the hard things like that is coming. Guess what, Christian? The same is true for you. You can rejoice in the midst of the hardships knowing deliverance is coming. With Christ at the center of your solar system, you can have the joy now that everything will work out for your deliverance in the end. So test yourself. Are you experiencing that joy now? Do you have that planet in its proper place? Here's the second thing. We experience the hope of Christ exalted in us, and let him choose the how. We experience the hope. We let Christ choose the how. Look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What awaits Paul at the end of his imprisonment, life, death, Paul doesn't know really. That's for God to decide. 
Paul is far more concerned about something else. That Christ be exalted in his body, whether it's by his life or by his death. That's God's choice, Paul says, not not mine. This is a sure sign that Paul's life has been caught up in the gravity of something much bigger than himself, of someone much bigger than himself. Paul says, it's my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be exalted in my body, regardless of what that means for me, whether it means my life or my death. Why? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say the same thing today? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Are you well content that your life glorify Christ should nothing else of your effort stand or your legacy survive? Is your chief desire simply for Christ to be glorified? That's where real freedom is found. That's the secret key to unlocking joy even in the hardest of circumstances. That's a sign that the planets of your life are aligned around the proper sun. Your greatest hope is that Christ will be exalted in your life, whatever the circumstances, come what may, life or death. And here's another sign. Look at verses 22 and 23. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. When we say with our lives that to live is Christ, then the life we get to live is full of this. Verse 23, it is, verse 22, it is full of fruitful labor because, verse 23, the compass of our hearts is pointed heavenward. The life we get to live is filled with fruitful labor because the compass of our heart is pointed toward heaven. Have you ever heard the expression, that person is so heavenly minded, they are no earthly good? You heard that before? They're so heavily minded, they're no earthly good. It's an expression that virtually all of church history contradicts. (laughs) The people who have done the most good on earth in history have always been those who have been the most heavenly minded. Whether it's the Christians, early Christians in the Roman Empire, caring for the sick during the plagues as everyone else would flee for their lives, or whether it's William Wilberforce fighting to end the slave trade fueled by his evangelical faith and convictions, or it's George Mueller caring for thousands of orphans, never asking for anything but only praying, or it's Florence Nightingale revolutionizing the field of nursing and hospital care in the midst of war, (laughs) the Crimean War. More often, you'll find that the people who did the most good in this life are those who had their hearts most set upon the life that was to come. These men and women knew that to depart this life to be with Christ would be so very much better. And that belief empowered them to lay down their lives now 
and make a real difference in the world. Do you want to have a fruitful life now? Then set your eyes upon Jesus in the life to come, and fruitful labor will follow. It has to. It's the natural fruit of setting your heart completely upon Jesus. Here's a a fourth planet that comes into place when Christ is at the center. Look at verse 25. You will find your life's purpose and mission. Verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't instantly translate us to heaven the moment that we are born again? I think, one, that would create a pretty weird dynamic, wouldn't it? Every time someone believes the gospel, they disappear or they instantly die on the spot. That'd be pretty weird. Um, What's happened to mom? The same thing that happened to the neighbors. She read that book about Jesus and poof, she vanished. Let that be a lesson to you kids. Never learn to read, right? God knows that Snatching us out of this life isn't a workable thing (laughs) across the board. But the bigger reason why we remain and continue on is that God has a mission for us. He has a mission for us. Paul expresses that mission in verse 25. Look at it again. Here's why I'm staying in life. I'd rather go and be with Christ, but here's why I'm remaining. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This is my mission as a pastor. I am a worker with you for your joy and progress in the gospel. This is my mission as a pastor, but this is also your mission. This is your mission as a father with your kids. This is your mission as a daughter with your parents. This is your mission as a student with your classmates, as a matriarch in the church. For all those you care for like a mother, this is your mission. We all have the same one. God's purpose for keeping us in this life involves the progress and joy of the family, the whole family of God. If you're just becoming a Christian, this is a happy discovery, isn't it? Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is one of joy. Applying good tidings of great joy to your own heart first and then to the hearts of those around you. It's a mission to help people mature and grow deeper in their enjoyment of Jesus. Is there any other mission you'd rather have than that one? That's, that's a pretty good mission. Isn't it? That's the best mission. I, I'll tell you, no Christian ever got the short end of the stick when God handed out life purposes. Because we all have this one. This mission of spreading joy in Jesus belongs to every Christian. It belongs to you. And you should joyfully own it. It is yours. As your pastor... I want to be a worker with you for your joy in Jesus 
and your progress in the gospel. That's my mission to you, but that is also your mission to me. We pastor one another. We gospel one another in our church by speaking the truth in love to each other. That's what Paul says. You want to grow up in maturity in Christ? How do you do it? Speak tr- speaking the truth in love. We grow up into the fullness. We grow up into maturity of Christ. And let me tell you, when you bring joy to this pastor's heart, that spills out from me onto others. There are ripple effects to being a worker for someone else's joy. That joy becomes contagious and it spreads to others. That's not just true of me, it's true of everyone. So let's get this planet, our our mission, revolving around Jesus, the Son of God, like it should be. Let me highlight quickly two final things in this passage, and then we'll draw chapter 1 to a close. The first important one is in verse 28. I'm not saying everything that needs to be said here. I'm skipping to verse 28. Look at this. It says, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but a salvation for you, and that too from God. When our lives revolve around Jesus, we don't need to be alarmed by our opponents. Isn't that good news? You don't have to be alarmed by those you feel like are opposing you. It's good news, especially when a 24-hour news cycle wants us to be in a constant state of alarm and panic. As Christians, we don't have to be. Do you know the story of Chicken Little? I don't really know it. I didn't, I didn't even bother to look it up. Because uh, I, I know it's, there's something about something falling on Chicken Little's head, and he says, the sky is falling. Right? The sky is falling. Christian, guess what? You get to be the anti-Chicken Little. We still may look. I've only seen that, that cartoon, that film, the little wimpy chicken. He's Chicken Little. We may still look like that, <laughs> the smallest, somewhat awkward-looking chicken, pushed off to the side, but we're not the ones saying the sky is falling as Christians. We're saying just the opposite. Where's the world going? It's ultimately going to Jesus, isn't it? Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and all things are going to him. The gospel is spreading today in places where the opposition to it is the fiercest. Don't be alarmed by, your, by those who oppose you. God's kingdom is like a small mustard seed, but it grows into being the largest plant in the garden. So we're not alarmed, are we? We're not worried like others. We're here calmly, lovingly, and joyfully upholding the truth in our day. Even when everyone else is saying something different, we are standing firm, not worried, not alarmed. And guess what? The world takes notice of that. The world takes notice of deeply joyful, truly loving Christians who are in no way alarmed by their opponents. Paul says it's a sign of destruction for them, 
but of salvation for you. Kids typically know it's time to worry when dad starts to panic. When dad is in no way alarmed, here's a, here's a Father's Day illustration for you. When dad is no way alarmed by the adverse circumstances, the car just broke down, dad's not worried, the child just figures, yeah, my dad's got this. I'm not going to worry about it. Little children, don't be alarmed. Your dad's got this, right? Let's trust in an unworried father in heaven. He knows what is best. Father knows best. And as we trust him, we can wave goodbye to our worry and alarm. While we can say goodbye to anxiety, worry, alarm, this does not mean we say goodbye to our suffering. And this is where we end. Look at verses 29 and 30. Paul says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Here is a planet you may not have expected to find in a Christ-centered solar system. The planet of pain and suffering. You may not have expected to see it here, but hardships are such a big part of life that it would be very strange indeed if the Bible did not instruct us on how we are to see our suffering. The Bible actually has a lot to say about suffering, much of which will be surprising to most people. Just look at how Paul talks about suffering here. Verse 29, to you has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe, but also to suffer. Your faith, the same verb, has been granted to you, but also your suffering has been granted to you. They both come to you through the hands of a father, sifted through his fatherly hands. But, you might ask, how can a father allow his children to suffer? That's a big question. And the fathers in the room know that there is not just one answer to that question. There is the answer of fatherly discipline, of course. Hebrews chapter 12 says... For those whom the Lord loves, he, what? Disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? A lack of discipline shows a lack of love. The father just doesn't care. He doesn't care about the child's future. He doesn't care enough to discipline. Even earthly fathers know that there is some pain, some hardship, some discipline that our children need. Our Heavenly Father has our eternal future in mind as He disciplines us. He knows that the gain of just a little godliness is eternally worth all the temporary pain it took to appropriate it. So, God disciplines us, yes, but... Not all suffering is discipline, is it? 
No, it's not. Job suffered. Why? Precisely because he was doing everything right. He was believing what he should believe. He was following God as he should. God sovereignly set the limits on Job's suffering and used it for good in the end. It was granted to him by God. In truth, as you look at the Bible, virtually every character has a story to tell about how God used suffering for good in their life. You have that story to tell as well, I'm sure. Ultimately, though, it's not characters in the Bible's story. It's not our story. Ultimately, the Bible points us to Jesus, the suffering servant. Jesus is the prime example that God grants suffering and he has good purposes for doing it. The cross was God's good plan. What do we call the day Jesus was crucified? It's good Friday, isn't it? It's good. God has good plans in our suffering. And as the son of God, Jesus willingly took on our suffering and our sorrows we, we've looked to one who has redeemed us. We look to a Savior who has redeemed us, who personally knows pain. He knows pain of a kind that we will never come close to tasting ourselves. Jesus drank the bitter cup of God's wrath for us so that our experience of suffering might not be full of wrath, but full of redemption. You may be here today and in pain. I want you to know this morning that your father sees you. He sees you. Your father loves you. He is good. He is kind. He is wise. You don't have to be afraid or alarmed, but... You do have to trust him. You have to trust him. When that is hard, when that's a hard thing to do, look to Jesus. See his trust and live upon it. When that feels easy to do, it feels easier to do, still look to Jesus. See his fellowship with you in your suffering and live upon it. Because for you, to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Your life is a person. Learn to live upon him and learn to bless those times that teach you to live upon him better. Then Christ will be the sun at the center and all things in your life will find their proper orbit around him. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that Christ would be at the center of our lives. May all the things that have so long felt disconnected in relationships and pleasures and leisure and attitude, may we start connecting them back to Jesus as our son, and may all things find their proper place around him. 
may he be at the center, and may the center call and desire of our life be Christ glorified. May all glory be to Christ. May this be our response from our hearts this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That the altar is open, and guess what? Even if I don't say it, the altar is always open for you to come and do business with God. You need to talk to me, please. I'd love to pray with you, uh, see how you're responding to God's word. Let's all respond in the way we need to this morning as we stand and sing a song of response. All glory be to Christ.
We have a few things that we want to remind you of and draw your attention to as we conclude. Vacation Bible School is upon us. Um, it is coming up one week from today. We're going to kick that off, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But first is we need you to sign up your kids, and we need to sign up other kids that your kids are going to bring. And we need all that done so that we can make sure we have everything ready to go. And so we're not signing up. Um, people to be volunteer leaders anymore, but we are signing up at the same spot um, where that was, uh, you to sign up your kids um, who will be attending. That's four-year-olds um, through fifth grade. If you are a worker and you have a little one that's littler than four-year-old, uh, we will be providing childcare here at the church for that, so know that if you are, if you are volunteering. Um, but for the rest of us, uh, or for everyone else, there will be uh, four-year-olds through fifth grade able to attend um, this event, and it's going to be a fabulous time. And um, to make sure that we have lots of four-year-olds through fifth graders coming, this Wednesday night, we need lots of you. And by lots of you, I mean like all of you. Um, so just come. But we need a, an army ready to go out and to spread the word about this event. We are excited. We want this to be well-attended, well-known about. And so we're going to be meeting here um, at the church. We will be gathering to go put these, um, these flyers and information packets on doorknobs um, across our neighborhood. And so we will have maps ready to go, and we just need to send out a lot of people and knock that out. We're going to meet at 6 o'clock and go out, and it's going to be um, a fantastic time. Um, meet us in the cafe, and, and we'll get you all that you need to be able to go do that. And um, as we um, kind of get ready for that day, a week from today is going to be what we kick off Vacation Bible School with. And there's a flyer in um, that door hanger as well that will tell people about the community cookout that we are praying. So join us in praying that the forecast by God's will changes um, as we look to uh, next Sunday, which right now they're saying we might get a little more rain. Um, but that's no, no surprise, right? We just got a lot of rain. But we believe that we can have a much better event if we're able to do it out at the park rather than in our gym because it's kind of hard to do a cookout in a gym. We will have a, a contingency plan for Vacation Bible School. But we want to pray that the Lord just moves the rain on out of here and we're able to have this community cookout um, to connect with our community uh, for really the first time since the pandemic began um, over a year ago. And so we, we are highly anticipating this and we want to invite you, please come. This isn't just... Uh, for the people who are working or this, this is for our church body. Absolutely, this is a time of fellowship. This will be the first really big fellowship that we've done as a church um, other than our Sunday morning gatherings. So please, please make every um, intention to be there, and, um, and we're excited. And the last thing is another thing we're very excited about next Sunday is that we have a baptism. Um, Jake Bodiford, um, who I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the last few years, um, he and I have had discussion about his coming to faith, and it has been so encouraging to hear and to see how the Lord is, is working in his life and through his life already. And so we are going to celebrate that as a, as a church body 
um, and, and celebrate a life that was, that was put to death to be raised in Christ. And so um, please be here for that next week, and, uh, and we will uh, celebrate that with Jake as um, the Lord has worked in his life. And so with that, I'm going to turn it back over to our pastor for our benediction, and then we'll sing the doxology. on my sheet so uh the last announcement is that there's still a need for people in the av booth so come let us know about that may the lord bless you may the lord keep you may the lord give you his peace may the lord grant that Christ might be the center and all the other pieces of your life find their proper orbit around him. May the Lord grant you all joy in believing and in following Jesus and may you be a worker with others for their joy and progress in the faith. May we go out from here with that fresh gladness of heart knowing that Jesus is our king and he is good over us. We thank him in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here.